I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Hooray! This is our, our one Tim Burton movie. Our one Tim Burton movie. <laughs> Which, uh, I guess isn't that surprising. Tim, you know, Tim Burton is like a very well-known, well-regarded director, but I don't know that he does a lot of the kind of stuff that we were doing for this. Uh, yeah, for this I feel like we may have talked about some other things, but like that he did, but there was never anything that was particularly... And I was like, I liked Tim Burton more when I was a kid than I like him now, for sure. But um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're like a 15 year old who goes to Hot Topic a lot, Tim Burton right. has a lot more appeal yeah. than he does <laughs> as an adult. It's true. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, uh, you know, but I, I don't think I was ever like a crazy Tim Burton person. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely was not either. So, you know, that probably also added to why. Um, But today we are talking about Big Fish, (laughs) Uh, which is um, based on a novel and not a Tim Burton. He's adapting a thing and he didn't even do the adaptation. It was someone else, John August. Which I don't know. Is that I don't actually know how typical that is for him. It's a good question. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's done other adaptations. I mean, he did Batman, he did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Sleepy Hollow is obviously not an original story. Uh, But I don't know if he usually writes his own screenplays or not. It doesn't look like it. I mean, other than his shorts, uh, he. But it looks like he's he's frequently uh, he is frequently uh, cited as a writer for story or story and characters. Okay. Um. So, like Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Corpse Bride. Um. That. So gotcha. yeah, he's not it's writing like his, the actual his, his concepts that other people yeah. write actual screenplays for. Yeah, it's what it looks okay. like. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Big Fish, uh, came out in 2003, I believe. Yeah. And has, um, has quite a cast, uh, and no Johnny Depp, which is a Yeah, which is a a blessing at this stage. It is. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It is. But it does have a variety of other people, some of whom I had absolutely forgotten were in it. Um, I had no memory that Marion Cotillard was in this movie. I also had forgotten Marion Cotillard was in this movie. This is probably an early thing that I saw her in. Yeah, Uh, she's uh, always a welcome always a welcome presence. We've got Albert Finney, we've got Ewan McGregor, we've got Billy Crudup, Jessica Lange, Helena Bonham Carter, because we can't get through a Burton movie without like at of course, least one yeah. of the staples. Steve Buscemi, I had forgotten was in this. Yeah, Danny, Danny DeVito. DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's quite a uh, it's quite a lineup. So, I mean, just like at an overall level, Joel, like, did you like it? Like, what are your feelings about it before this on a rewatch? Did you still like it? What do you I think you like uh, it before? So, so it had been a long time since I don't think I'd watched it probably since we did it for this. Probably um, same for me. If if so, I don't remember when it would have been. But I so I, I think I'd probably seen it twice. Mm-hmm. And I remember I remember liking it. I I didn't love it the way a lot of people do. This is kind of one of those like. For a lot of people, this is one, you know, it's it's not like a an unknown movie, obviously, but it's like sort of a, a a lesser talked about movie of a famous director. So I feel like for a lot of people, this is one of those movies that they'll bring out as like, you know, uh, a favorite of theirs that other people don't necessarily know about. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it ever really had that status for me. It was never like a, a favorite, but I always enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I... I, I would say I feel pretty much the same watching it again, honestly. Uh, 
I, I kind of expected it to connect a little bit more with me now than it did when I was younger. Okay. Since, you know, I, I now have a, a father that I haven't spoken to in three years and the, there's arguably more for me to connect with in it now than there was when I was younger. Um, uh-huh. But I don't know that it had. I don't know that it had a lot of extra impact for me, which I was. I was a little bit, a little bit surprised by, to be honest. But okay. uh, I did still enjoy it quite a lot. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. Um, and I mean, you know, it looks like we rated it the four. Oh, the same. We both rated it four. Um, I I do like it quite a lot, though. And I will say that um, it it does make me think a lot about. I mean. <laughs> I think that it is a movie that makes me ponder a lot sort of the ideas of like how do you love your kids and do you love them in a way that is what they need and what mm-hmm. is the you know and that you can be like maybe an awesome person to have in people's lives but maybe not a great father right. um, like that yeah. both those things could be true at the same time mm-hmm. uh, because I think that that is very much true with uh, with our well, not our main character. I guess technically our main character is Billy Crudup's well bloom here. Well, his father. Well, Billy Crudup's our perspective character, but I, yeah. I would say that uh, that Ed Bloom is the main character. Most of the movies about him. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so you know, I mean, the Ed Bloom seems like a, a delightful person to know mm-hmm. um, and to hang out with, and I I want to hear all of his insane stories. Absolutely, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, he seems like a very bad father. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he doesn't seem to realize that even at the end, which I no. I did think was kind of a strange choice. Well, I actually I think I don't know. I think that that it shifts to a thing where it's not so much about this this man ever changing because he's probably not going to, but like are you able as the child to, you know, as an adult to look at this person and be like I understand what they were trying to do and I like I forgive you functionally. That's right. how I read the final scene. I forgive you and I, you know, I'm going to have grace for you in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is, you know, it still makes me cry at the end. I wasn't sure if it was still going to, but it still did. Um, it is, and it's, it's a beautiful movie. Um, it uses a lot of, of Burton's stuff, but I feel like with a slightly lighter touch. Yeah, no, it is actually interesting. Uh, it is it is definitely a lot less elaborate than most of his, mm-hmm. you know, his his crazy creative visual style has kind of always been his signature thing. And I, I think it is uh, it's a lot more subtle in this movie than than in most of his famous stuff. Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. And I think that's for the best. I agree. Yeah. I mean, he you know, he one thing that he has he has in a lot of his movies is the like. The sort of like uh picture perfect um like almost like doll dollhouse like house yeah yeah right so like i mean i like i we we just talked about him recently on here because i had just watched um beetlejuice right and that very much has that the house in beetlejuice the edward scissorhands has that as i recall the the yes. sort of uh, perfectly symmetrical uh, well, your scissor hands has, yeah, and, say, has the whole like suburban neighborhood, <laughs> right? Uh, and there's a little bit of that in this movie. There's one shot when early in the movie when Bloom is like making him his name in the town, and there's yeah. he has like a landscaping company, and there's a shot going down this residential street where he has people mowing every lawn, and it's that's very much a thing. 
a, a, a Burton kind of shot. Um, but I, I think the more the more obvious example of it in this is the first time we see the the town of Spectre. Yeah, I was going to say is that. The, it's like a it's kind of like a, a classic American town with like downtown with you know you got two rows of buildings facing each other and stuff, but it has just like a lawn between them instead of a road, mm-hmm. uh, and it is a very a very striking image. But it's less uh, it somehow feels less obvious than <laughs> than what he usually does. I think. Yeah, no, I I think so too. And I mean, you know, there's other like there's a point where the trees are like attacking him, and the, um, you know, there's other like visual effects and stuff for sure. But it does feel a lot less than even in something like Edward Scissorhands, where it feels like definitely less stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> a lot less, a lot less human oddities in this yes. one than you have in a lot of his stuff. Although you do have the giant, yeah, Carl. Although even that, I mean, that, I don't know, that the actor who played him was an actual, uh, he actually had gigantism. He was like seven and a half feet tall, apparently. Yeah. The Guinness, the Guinness World Record for the tallest actor in history, apparently. They still made, um, they still made but him they, taller they, than he was. Well, right. They exaggerated it for the, yeah, for the the storytelling sequences he was. I think in that, in the final scene at the funeral, he was shown as like his actual size. Yes, I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah but, Matthew McGurry, who passed away, um, years ago now uh it was mm-hmm. 32 when he died because gigantism yeah, is, is not that's how that goes your yeah. body <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah oh it looks like he died in 2005 so um so yeah i mean it, it's you know it's this sort of <laughs> i mean I, I think i was thinking about it a lot while i was watching it is that like so basically like billy credup is the is the son of this guy will his name is will bloom and he's the son of this guy ed bloom who is like sort of this like quintessential southern storyteller um, mm-hmm. In a way that I don't feel like I had a lot of exposure to. <laughs> no. I feel like the closest thing I could think of is the way that mom and dad talked about how Uncle Paul told stories. Mm. That he was constantly like, and I feel like they, they talked about this more when I was younger. And I don't know how much of this they said to you. But I remember specifically mom telling me that, like, you could never tell which ones of Uncle Paul's stories were like real or like what parts had been sort of exaggerated. Oh, interesting. I don't think I had, I don't think I ever got that impression. So I I don't, yeah. So that's the only thing I could think of. Like, you know, we grew up, you know, we, (laughs) I feel like Southern storytelling is its own, like, (laughs) it's sort of, sort of genre. Like this is like a specific type of character that I don't feel like I ever really knew. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, he's, he, he loves to, he loves to hold the attention of a room. He lo- he flirts outrageously mm-hmm. with everyone he meets. He tells a lot of stories about, you know, his life, which, you know, by the end we realize are, you know, there's there's a kernel of truth in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, well, right. That, that is one of the interesting things. That is the interesting thing at the end is that you realize that a lot of his stories were more true than you would have expected. Right. Uh, like yes, not totally true, and he added some dramatic flair, um, but they also weren't complete fabrications, right? And I think that, and so and so, you know, when looking at it that way, like Will is frustrated one that his father like cannot help but make himself the center of everyone's attention, no matter what 
matter what the situation is. Well, right. The, the the event that caused them to stop speaking to each other was that he got up to give a speech at his son's wedding and wouldn't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like that was the tipping point where he got sick of it and stopped speaking to him. Um, but then also Will's frustration that he feels like he doesn't know his dad, mm-hmm. that he feels like his father has been telling all of these stories and he doesn't he doesn't know who he is. Um, because he sees all of these stories as a lie. And what the truth ends up being is that, like, his father has, in fact, been trying to tell him about himself in the mm-hmm. way that he knows how to do it. And, yeah. like, um, you know, which doesn't change the fact that Ed also very definitely has a desire to be the center of attention in a way that that absolutely would be not great as his child. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think a thing that, that really stood out to me this time that I don't remember thinking before is there's this other guy who lives in town played by David Denman, uh, Don Price, uh, who Ed Bloom is right. constantly kind of playing the same role that he played in the office. I don't know right. if he was, he was the guy that Pam was engaged to at the office. And he's kind of doing the same thing here. And it's just like Ed just constantly overshadows him mm-hmm. in literally everything. And I feel like a thing that was that I felt this time that I have felt before is I felt really sorry for this dude. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, I mean, it, I mean, you know, it seems like he probably was kind of an asshole. He later beats the shit out of Ed. But like... <clears throat> It sucks. Like, you know, he tried to do his science project and he, how come he doesn't ever get to have a main character moment? Like, (laughs) because no one gets to have a main character moment with that around. Right. Uh, Not in Ed's stories. Yeah. (laughs) And and so I, I thought about that more, I think, watching it and how, and how, you know, maybe sometimes it also felt that way to be his son. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if, even if he made it, he never saw those connections um and you know that his wife who's played as an older person by jessica lange and as a younger person by allison loman um like you know she is the main character in his story like never as main character as him but she is mm-hmm. <laughs> she is always like larger than life um in his stories so I think she probably do, she probably doesn't really like doesn't really fully understand what it would be like to be her son, mm-hmm. who honestly does end up being more of a footnote to his great adventures most of the time. Well, right. I mean, the, and the 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 example that the movie keeps going back to about that is the story that that Ed tells about the birth of his son, which is all about mm-hmm. him catching a fish that everyone in his town had been trying to catch for decades. Yep. <laughs> <clears throat> and he's clearly told it like, you know, a bazillion times. Right. This is like his favorite go to story. Yeah. <clears throat> and at some point, finally, uh, you know, Will hears the true story from uh, the doctor played by right. uh, Robert Gilami. I don't know how to pronounce his name. And it's it's entirely unremarkable. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, he, it's a very he was out of town. Story. His mom, yeah. went, you know, Sandra went into labor a week early. The neighbor drove her there. He wasn't able to be there and he felt bad about it. And, you know, but the doctor was like, but like men weren't really like supposed to be in the delivery room at the time. So I don't really know how much difference it would have made. Right. He was here. Um, But then he's like, you know, but if I had a choice between that story and one in which, you know, I had these like sort of remarkable things, I can see why I choose the other one. And Will's like, honestly, I like yours better. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and to some extent, this is just like a fundamental. This is just like. Our per- their personalities do not match, right? Like, I mean, like, he, he wants... And I, I related to Will to some extent of, like, I want... 
I want to know what actually happened. I want right. to know. Will's, Will's character is a journalist. Right. Right. So like he's he is also a storyteller, but his whole thing is finding out the reality of things. Right. <laughs> you know, expanding on the facts. That's Yeah, and I and I, I feel like I, I definitely I relate to that and I relate to that desire to to understand your parents, to understand like what your place in things are. I mean, you know, a thing that I think I was consistently something Bob hated. We didn't really have a problem with our dad answering questions. Um, mm-hmm. If we asked them, he would answer. Uh, I don't always think that <clears throat> his answers were 100% factual, uh, but I think they were, for the most part, 100% factual as far as he knew. Um, my Yeah, I mean, he was not, he's not a... Uh, he's not a self-reflective gentleman in some ways. Right. But that wasn't what I was. I mean, he's he's not he was not the type to to make up details to make the story better. (laughs) No, no, certainly not. But our mother just didn't want to talk about stuff at all. Um, And this was a real problem for me, (laughs) particularly in high school, Um, that I just I wanted to understand. I wanted to be able I wanted to be able to to take all of these pieces that I knew had to be there. I still have this compulsion to like take all these pieces that I knew had to be there and to to figure out like even if me and mom were never going to be close, even if we were not, I wanted to like understand her and like understand why things were the way they were. Um, but mom was I mean, and uh, mom was terrified of talking about herself or her life. Um, and so I was constantly trying to put together like these tiny bits and pieces of information, usually that she, you know, threw at me when she was angry at me about something and suddenly told me a story from her youth that she had never told before. Um, but like, and so it's, it's a really different situation than Will and Ed, but I felt like I really related to his frustration of like, I am trying to under, you know, for, for Will, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of made more so by the fact that his wife is pregnant. He knows he's about to be a father He's like trying to understand more about his father and about who he is and like, you know, who who Will is in the middle of all this. And his father's just like, I'm telling you all my stories. What are you talking about? When have I ever not told you? I've only Uh, ever been myself. Right. Which is true. Mm -hmm. It's just like also not 100 percent factual. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and like you know, I believe that he he loves Will in the best way he knows how to do so. Mm-hmm. But like you know, was like that wasn't enough growing up. That that wasn't enough for Will. Well, right. He straight up talks about how like he never liked being at home. It felt too confining. So he was always out, you know, yeah. traveling for work and all that. And he says that without seeming to recognize that. Oh, maybe that was a problem for you, right? <laughs> that I was never around. Because I hated being here. Like. And the things that I think that, that give Will the ability to have the moment of, I think, grace with his father at the end and to forgive him and, like, recognize that he did love him, um, even if it wasn't enough, is when he goes to see uh, Helena Bonham Carter mm-hmm. um, and is like, okay, like, was he having an affair? Like, is... <laughs> Like, like, tell me, like, I want to, you know, and she's just like, I don't know if I should. And he's like, no, I need to know. And so she tells him this sort of like 
crazy story, but seeming we have no reason to believe it's not true. Um, maybe a little updated for uh, of, you know, that he he found out that this town was going under and he made a lot of people rich and he um, he wasn't rich himself, but he was able to convince a bunch of people to invest in it. And he like saved the town. He like bought the right. town and saved the town. Um, and she had been in love with him since she was a very little child um, when she first met him. And, you know, she she wanted him to love her. Too. She wanted to be a character in his big story. Um, and she kind of was, but not the way she would have wanted. Uh, <laughs> um, and like her thing is like, look, he he loved you guys. He loved you and he loved your mother more than anything. And I wished that I could have been a part of that, but I just, I just wasn't. And one day he left and never came back. Um, and I mean, I think that my read, and I'm curious if you have the same, is that for Will, who constantly thought his father must have another family someplace, must have like, right. like something well, yeah, else, some reason he's not coming of, home. He'd always kind of assumed there was something something nefarious being hidden, I think. Yeah. Right. And the the reality is that like that's that's not the case. This is this literally is just who his dad is. That he mm. he very much loves Will's mother. He and she is kind of the only woman for him, even if he did kind of stalk her at the beginning. Yeah, uh, that whole that whole sequence is definitely a little bit dated these days. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, you know, that that Will and his mother were, in fact, the most important things to Ed outside of himself. It's just that, like. It still wasn't that much. Like, he's still, like, you know, no. he still he couldn't be home. He couldn't stay in one place he couldn't do it, but it wasn't because there was someone else he loved more. Mm -hmm. It was just cause like, this is who he was. Right. Um, and so that's how I read it as like giving him the ability to like, you know, make peace with who his dad was in a way that he hadn't been able to do before. That it wasn't like, so it, it wasn't, you know, the, the relief of knowing that someone else didn't like rank above you. Mm -hmm. Um, other than possibly Ed himself. <laughs> Right. <laughs> there were no other children or <laughs> wives or anything that were more important than being with you. Yeah. And it is it is touching. I cry all the way through the last five, ten minutes. Like it's <laughs> I, I, I I did not, but that the you know, the scene of him of, of him telling his dad the story of how he dies is yes. uh it's very pretty incredible. That, that I mean that that whole scene is just remarkable. Yeah. Like that that's one of the a, a through line through this movie early on, we, he has this story about how when he was a little kid, uh, he and a bunch of his friends were sneaking around the, the, the old house that everyone in the neighborhood believed was occupied by a witch who uh, supposedly had a glass eye that if you looked into it, it would show how you would die. <laughs> and uh, his friends dare him to go into the house and steal the glass eye. And so he... You know, he's this fearless guy, so he's going to do it. But when he gets to the door, the witch just opens the door and is standing there. And he's like, ma'am, I have some friends who'd like to see your eye. <laughs> right. I mean, like, like, and, I mean, this is important, I think, in that largely like the way the way in which even in his outlandish stories, the way in which he has like made his way through life is by being incredibly charming and a good talker. Right. He wins people over. He doesn't. <laughs> right. He, he's not really a fighter. He's just yeah. very <laughs> determined and everyone likes him. So he, yes. he ends up getting what he wants. 
<laughs> Which I can see. I believe it. Yeah. Like. Yeah, for sure. I also would like him at both. Yeah. At both ages, even it, it, like sometimes it would for sure be in spite of myself. Um, right. <laughs> anyway, so then he he claims he looks in the witches. He asked the witch to look in her eye. Right. Um, the other which kids, which as a note was not an option. Out. Gave the other children. Right. Uh, <laughs> the other kids look into it and freak out, and then he thinks about it and is like, you know, I think it would give me an advantage through life if I knew how I was going to die. Because then, anytime things got bad, if it wasn't the thing, I would know I was going to be okay. So. He looks and we don't see what he sees and we never do. And that, that was one story that he never told. Right. To his kid. He just, you know, he was like, you know, I don't know. And he was like, it's going to be a lot more remarkable than this. It's going to be a lot more amazing. And then he and I mean, I suppose one could also read like that, you know, he that will then has a chance to be a part of his right. big finale to be, you know, in that with him and not like have it be another story told to him that he gets to be sort of the the creator of that one. Right. It's very beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we watched it partly because we knew that our father likes anything with daddy issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> not that I think he particularly related to Will in a lot of ways. Um, I did not know our grandfather well, but if there is one thing that I am pretty confident about it is that he was not much of a talker. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> that is that is my understanding. Although least, he um, must he must have his charm because he's managed to have like he managed to have like seven wives before he died recently. So he, he, he must clearly have, uh, has his charm. I, I honestly <laughs> think it was more. Than, I think it was more than seven. But um, well, yeah, that's he, just what we know about. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He clearly has his charm, but there are also like, like I always remember a story that mom told or maybe both mom and dad told me of like when they first met grandma Cheryl, who was the woman that our grandfather was married to the longest. And she died like unexpectedly in her Mm forties heart attack. Um, but when he met grandma Cheryl, um, that the first time they met her, uh, she said something like, you know, well, you know, Marvin and I had so much in common, whatever. And we both been married three times. And that mom and dad kind of looked at each other because they right. knew for sure that he had been married at least five times, right. if not more. <laughs> yeah. So, like, he, he I don't know. I it's it's very. But like my understanding of like, like, he always seems like a mystery to dad um, who, like, you know, didn't really really know him that well. And he would talk like I would talk to dad because it's clear it is clear if you are not our father, I think, how much he is impacted by everything with his father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not always confident that that's clear to dad. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I would ask him, like, have you like there are things you want to know? Have you asked him? Have you tried to, like, have these conversations with him? Um, and dad always insisted that whenever he tried to ask him anything, that he just like, if he like that, he would either change the subject or he just wouldn't answer mm. like that. He would just not respond <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think that, that our grandfather was certainly not, you know, not, not Ed. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. but you know, our father also had the experience of a father who who never seemed to center him or their family and so i, th- I think dad was 
touched by this. And it also speaks to dad's like general belief that you just have to like people are doing the like people are doing the best you can and you have to forgive them for all the things they don't do, mm-hmm. um, which I don't actually think is quite the moral of this story. <laughs> <laughs> but but I could see how how Dad would read it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there there is an element of like, you know, you you can't expect people to be someone that they're not. Right. Like, people are going to be who they are. And so I mean, and I think and I think that that's true. And I think that the the further element to that that the movie never really quite gets to, but to me feels like the obvious next step is that's true. But that also means that like you are who you are. Right. And it is it is possible that you cannot reconcile the two. Right. And like that's not a sin if that's the case. Mm-hmm. That's not a like sometimes that happens for all kinds of reasons and that's okay. Right. Um so and sometimes you can't. Like like part of what makes this end scene so touching is that it is it seemed unlikely. Like it seemed just <laughs> just as likely it could have got another way. So it is like it's a it's a gift. It's a moment of grace and like reconciliation that was not expected. Right. Especially because another aspect of this that the movie doesn't spend a lot of time on, but that they do talk about a little bit is that he, you know, he, he believed his father's stories for longer than he should have. So he had this element of, you know, he feels like he was tricked by his father, Mm -hmm. uh, that his father chose to, to deceive him rather than share who he really was. So, Some of what and like both things are true. Like right, his dad it is, believes it is true, but it's also not true. Right? Yeah. Like some of what you get at the end is the realization that there was a lot more truth in all of this than he had given it credit for. And the understanding that he was sort of building his. I mean, I think that's an important thing too. At the end, the very tag sequence um, where it's you know his own kid telling the stories. Right. He's it, there's okay. kind of a, a passing on of the the legacy. He, he, he becomes his stories. He gains the immortality right. through, you know, those things. Um, I mean, it's very beautiful. It's a, it's, a, it's a lovely movie. It holds up way better than, for me, at least, most of Tim Burton's movies. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, it's probably... I don't know that Tim Burton has done anything particularly good since this. Uh, I thought Corpse Bride was okay. That was a couple of years later. And I, I do like Sweeney Todd okay. I do like Sweeney but, Todd. Uh, <laughs> Other than that, uh, he he has not been on a on a winning streak. <laughs> I was a fan in, of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I don't know how I didn't see now. his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It just um, looked too annoying. I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. I and did I, like Big Eyes when I saw it. I thought Big Eyes was okay. Uh, I didn't I love it, it, but I like. I gave it. it a three out of five. It looks like. Um, but Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children was fucking terrible. Um, yeah, and is, is worse now that I have read the books, which are actually quite good. Right. Um, <laughs> so, and then I did not watch Dumbo, Dumbo movie. Yeah, which I didn't is watch supposed Dumbo. Supposed to be terrible, and yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's true. He's he seems to be a sort of on a slowly sizzling down <laughs> sort of deal. Yeah, and his next project, as we talked about, is a sequel to Beetlejuice. So. Right, <laughs> something we all needed. Yeah. But this this is still out there. It's up on Netflix. It's you know easy to watch. It's mm-hmm. two hours, um, and it's very beautiful. It's very lovely little film, uh, family friendly. You know, if you're watching it with kids, I think it mm, more maybe not little kids. There's, but like, there's a little. I think, there's it depends on what you're worried about. There's a little bit of nudity and eh, you know, ish. But I guess yeah. nothing that I would be concerned about. With if, you're, if you're who's listening to about our, your, 
If you're concerned about your children seeing Danny DeVito's ass, uh, <laughs> then probably don't show them this. But <laughs> I did, I did enjoy Danny DeVito quite a lot, but I don't totally buy him with a Southern accent. No, I <laughs> it just same. he's just such a like quintessentially East Coast kind of guy. Yep, yep. That, I mean, you oh. and McGregor did a great job with the accent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I don't think he always does. I don't think he's always good with accents that aren't. Yeah, or like and Albert great. Albert Finney too. I mean, he's that's uh, he's English. So. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, no, yeah. Albert Finney really like embraces that. <laughs> yeah, he he really has the like old Southern guy feel to him. He's he's great. I mean, he's he's always great. That's obviously yeah. not a for sure. Yeah, for sure. Or I should say, he was always great. He, he was. Yeah, rest in peace. He's. Uh, was there anything else about this one that you particularly wanted to to note or talk about? Um, I did, I did I did quite enjoy Steve Buscemi as the yes. As, there's that that early sequence where he gets to that the town of Spectre that we were talking about, and they were like they I, I didn't quite understand everything that was supposed to be going on there, but they had like a a, a list of people they were expecting to get there eventually, and he was early because he had taken this shortcut through the woods, and they were confused that he was there. But they were like, okay, they, it was, it's like this perfect idyllic town where, like I said, there's no road. Everything is just grass. So everyone walks around barefoot all the time and the food is the best you've ever had. And everyone is just perfectly happy there and no one has ever left after they arrive. And one of the people there is this guy who's like this famous poet <laughs> and like this like world famous poet who had ended up here and no one really knew what had happened to him because he had just stayed there. And he is now just completely unable to write. <laughs> He, he has he's tried he's been trying for like seven years to write a poem about this town and he has like three lines and it's like roses are red violets are blue kind of poetry. Well, it's even better than that. It's like roses are red, ro- violets are blue. Spectre is cool. That right. <laughs> has doesn't even have a yeah. Um, but then later in the movie, we find out that inspired by. Ed Bloom's example, he he left the town and has now become like this roving lunatic. <laughs> Ed meets him in, in, in line at a bank and gets to talking to him and he asks him what he's doing now and he's like, well, I'm robbing this place. <laughs> he pulls out a couple guns and goes and robs the bank. <laughs> It's a it's a very fun character, and I I, I think it had, it had been a while since I had seen Steve Buscemi in anything, and he's always just I'm always happy when he shows up on screen. I like him a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and it's a fun role for him. That's a little, little off kilter, um, mm-hmm. in a different way than he usually is, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really fun role. It was a, it was a cool use of him. <laughs> and also Alison Lohman as the, the younger Sandra was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what happened to her. I feel like she was, I was also wondering that of being a star for a few years. She was she was in Matchstick Men, which is a movie that I loved, uh, and she was in that Drag Me to Hell, the Sam Raimi movie, which I guess was a big flop, and maybe that was kind of part of it. But no, as far I, as she, I can tell, she's basically disappeared. I don't know if she's on like if she's on a TV show now nope, or something. IMDb shows the last thing she did was in 2016. Oh, really? Yeah. So she is she has completely disappeared. Interesting. Oh, I wonder no. if that was by choice or. Uh, but it's a shame. I, I always thought she was really good. I thought she was great in Matchstick Men. Um, I really liked Drag Me to Hell. I thought she was really good in that. And I think she's good in this, too, although she doesn't... It's not like a... It's probably not the most challenging role she ever had. But. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I was obsessed with her because I was particularly obsessed with... Uh, I was particularly obsessed with... Um, 
the movie White Oleander. If I in. remember that. Yeah, I never hell saw that one. Um, yeah, it looks like she officially, she, she, after Drive Me to Hell, she retired from acting with the exception of a few small roles in film projects directed or produced by her husband. Who's her husband? Uh, her husband is um, Mark Neveldine. Neveldine. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Um, so, uh, he, they got married in 2009. He uh, directed Crank and Crank High Voltage and Gamer. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So like not, not really. Uh, yeah, she, uh, she basically looks like she dropped out to be a mom and she works as an online acting coach as well. Interesting. Okay. Well, hopefully she's happy doing that. Yeah, I hope so. She has three kids, so. Okay. Anyway, anyway, well, yeah, maybe, no, I agree. We'll I, when I saw her, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I, <laughs> I forgot about her, but it's nice to see her. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't. Yeah, obviously, hadn't seen her anything in ages. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's uh, let's find out what happens next. Um, I believe we are down to. Should be 53. That's correct. 53. All right. What's number 24? Number 20. Number 24 is Hell House. Oh, is that the the documentary about the. It is. The haunted, the Christian haunted houses. Yes. (laughs) Um, I remember a very contentious argument after watching this movie. Yeah. Um, I'm looking to see if it's, uh, if yeah, it's that's available it anywhere. It looks like it's you can rent it on Amazon. Yeah, rentable. Okay. I might just buy it. It's eight bucks to buy it and five bucks to rent it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm definitely curious to see that again. I'm super excited to show Morgan that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'll, yeah, that'll be interesting. It's, uh, I remember there being a lot of a lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of big topics to discuss in that. A one. lot of so. big topics. There were that is a that is a good way to put it. There were many big topics. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been a little while since we've done a documentary here. I feel like it was. That's uh, true. That's true. We, I feel we like had a bunch good. of documentaries early on, and I feel like we haven't we haven't done one in a little while. So yeah, no, it's uh, no Nazis. So yeah, yeah, that's doing uh, all right. That's the 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 marker at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Well, doesn't look like you've watched a lot. No, I, I have a little more than last time, but not a whole lot. Uh, do you want me to start? Yeah, why don't you do that? I, I have quite a bit, so. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so, a couple weeks ago, I think, in fact, I think the same day we recorded the last episode, I went to see Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Right, uh, I saw you, uh, you weren't impressed. Yeah, so I, I have I have never been a Baz Luhrmann fan. In fact, I have always kind of hated him and his work. Um, but I hadn't seen any of them in in a very long time, and I it was I I kind of suspected maybe that my dislike of his work was sort of a 
it was sort of part of the same thing that I had when I was younger, where I just didn't like musicals in general. And like, right, right. Yeah. I, I saw his stuff as like really kind of gaudy style over substance thing that I, that really rubbed me the wrong way. But I, I think I have, uh, I'm a little more open to the, to that sort of thing now than I was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and I, like I'd seen the trailer for Elvis several times and I thought it looked kind of fun and obviously Tom Hanks is in it. And so I figured go try this one another (laughs) shot um i do now uh like i i did learn something from it because i didn't think it was possible for tom hanks to give a bad performance i have been seeing some twitter reactions oh my god (laughs) so this so the rat okay the razzies you know the rat like the the, Uh, yeah Uh are they're stupid and they shouldn't exist agreed Uh, but they at least when they started, they were more like the purpose of them was more to like poke fun at the like the well-regarded parts of the industry that were too full of themselves, basically. Right. And they've sort of devolved into like, you know, oh, the newest Netflix Adam Sandler movie gets a Razzie every year. Right. Now. Like it's the it's it's the low hanging fruit stuff. I feel like Tom Hanks in this movie is the kind of role that the Razzies were created for. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's. I, <laughs> It's so it's so bad. He he's doing this accent that, as far as I can gather, he essentially made up because I don't think it has any relation to any real <laughs> accent that exists on Earth. Um, and he's kind of like the narrator of the story, but he's not very interesting. So like, it keeps coming back to hit his perspective on telling the story, and like, I don't. It's never interesting. I don't care. And there, but that aside. Uh, I, I still think I may give some more of, of Baz Luhrmann's older stuff another shot. Yeah. I don't know. I don't feel like I know. This may not be the best uh, the best test case. Did you watch Gatsby? I, I did. I saw that one in the theater when it came out, and I really hated it. Uh, See, I didn't like it either, but I think about it regularly. Yeah. Which is <laughs> that, is, that is one that I would actually like to rewatch and, and probably Same. will soon, actually, because May and I just recently read the book. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, so I think we will probably watch that one before too long. But mm-hmm. um, so one of the things that everyone is talking about in this movie is how great Austin Butler is as Elvis. Like that seems oh, yeah, to be the I thing see. that everyone agrees on. Like even if they didn't care for the movie, they'd agree like he's he's brilliant as Elvis. I am hearing that you might disagree. Well, I don't necessarily disagree, but the problem is, is that it's hard to tell because there are almost <laughs> no actual scenes in this movie. Like, it sounds weird to say, but I think we were almost an hour into the movie before there was a scene that occurred. It's Okay. <laughs> it's almost all montage. It feels like a two-hour two and 20-minute movie trailer. Oh. And it so, like, it keeps jumping around in time as he's telling these stories. And it's, like, like you almost never have more than, like, 15 or 20 seconds of characters in one place talking. Huh. It's always jumping around. And the, kind of the one... He's he is he's unquestionably very good at the performance scenes. Like the the live you know, the, sure. and there's a fair amount of that, and that's kind of the one exception. You get like you you get a few like whole song performances and stuff okay. that are very very impressive and he's he's very good. But that's also kind of like you kind of expect that in the musical biopic. Like right. That's, 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 that's the what one you would thing <laughs> that you have to do in order to get those roles is to be able to mimic the performer, right? Right, like, right, yeah. So it's, it is impressive, but it doesn't feel like 
it doesn't feel to me at least like it deserves the the level of praise that it's getting okay um so I, yeah like that's like i honestly feel like i don't know how good he was because i'm sure <laughs> that they i'm sure that they shot stuff as like full scenes sure because sometimes you'll come back like it'll, it'll you'll have 30 seconds of a scene and then it will cut away to other stuff for 20 minutes and then you'll come back to it eventually and you'll see more of it. Right. But like, I, I, f- I feel like the actual trailer for the movie is more coherent than the movie. Oh dear. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's not great. So yeah. And uh, you know, obviously it has his like big flashy visuals, but even that I feel like it wasn't as like bright and colorful as I was expecting it to be. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so I definitely had not a win. Yeah, it just didn't just did not work for me. Like I went into it wanting to like it, which you know, in spite of my my previous hesitations about Baz Luhrmann as a director, I went into it really hoping I was going to dig it, and it just was not. It did not plan for me, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping the same, and I, I didn't actually make it because the reviews were so abysmal that I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can convince myself to see, go see this two hours. So I was, I, I never look at Rotten Tomatoes anymore. I, I've given up on Rotten Tomatoes as a worthwhile. Uh, oh yeah, I didn't look there. I was just but the, the, the I, so Twitter. I have, <laughs> right, I have people that I follow on Twitter, and what I was seeing on Twitter was like a 50-50 mixed bag of people okay. who thought it was the best movie of the year so far and people who thought it was just a total miss. So that made me more curious. Yeah. And I was I was really hoping to come down on the positive side of it. But well, nope. It, alas. It, it did not work for me. Almost at all. Like there is there's some there is good there's good elements in there. Like I feel like there is a really good movie in there somewhere. But yeah. And it uh it it kind of uh conveniently left some details of his life out of the story. Uh, like, like, like his dating his wife Lisa, was 14 Lisa Presley when they 14, met. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it referred to her as a teenager the first time it showed her, but he is also, you know, he's young enough to be like in the military. So you kind of are left with the assumption that like, okay, she's probably 18 or 19. Right. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's some things like that, that, uh, don't, uh, rub me the wrong way a little bit. Um, so Yeah. I, I, I cannot recommend it, unfortunately. Well, that's too bad. Um, uh, so let's see. Uh, I rewatched Kubo and the Two Strings mm-hmm. the other day, which kind of on a whim, I had just been thinking about that movie. It had been quite a while since I watched it. I think that's one of the most underseen, underappreciated movies of the last 10 years. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, it's It's one of the most visually impressive movies I've ever seen. The story is so cool and so different from what you. From, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it, particularly not in like a kids' movie. Um, the one problem with it, and it is a big one, is the all white voice cast. Yes, <laughs> very like Japanese uh, setting. Um, yep, and it, it is it is literally almost entirely white voice cast, and that is unfortunate. I wish that I don't know if that was uh, uh, lack of. I don't know if that was carelessness on the part of the studio or if that was budgetary that they want, they needed names to get funding for the movie. I don't know what it was, but it just feels like 2016 is way past the point when that should have been clearly a mistake. Right. I agree. Um, I did, you know, I did a little bit of reading about, uh, I think it's Leica, the studio. Mm-hmm. Did you, do you know anything about them? I don't think so. So they're like, 
they, they've done a handful of, uh, like, they did the movie Paranorman and the Box Trolls. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A few other, like, um, stop-motion kind of animation stuff. They, they've made kind of a name for themselves that way. So, apparently, they are based in uh, the Portland area, like, in a Portland suburb. Huh. And they, the owner of the company is one of the co-founders of Nike, which is based in Portland. <laughs> And the guy who's like the creative director of the company and who directed Kubo and the Two Strings is his son. Ha! Huh. So you, this is like, when you think about it in those terms, like this studio is the vanity project of the son of a Nike like founder <laughs> who, whose daddy put up the money for him to, to have this animation studio. I feel like that kind of makes their output more impressive. <laughs> they've done like they've actually done like a lot legit good stuff. That's which true. you would not expect if that was the the setup for it that you heard. Yeah. Right? But it yeah. also makes it kind of like you know it also adds, at least for me, a little bit of a, a distasteful layer to it. Yeah, no. So <laughs> Yeah, I had never heard that before. I had no idea. Uh but that is the that is their deal, apparently. All right. Um, anyway, it is a it's a fantastic movie that definitely more people need to see because it mm-hmm. it was a big flop when it came out, and I feel like no one talks about it anymore. I like it. It doesn't. It, you know, sometimes movies like that will come out and not really make much of a splash, but then they'll they'll find their audience yeah. once they hit Netflix or whatever. And it doesn't seem like it's happened for this one. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Which is, I mean, it's it's absolutely a shame. It's it was. I think it was in my top ten of the year. It was just mm-hmm. such a beautiful, yeah. beautiful movie. Yeah. Uh, the only other movie I have, uh, the other night, May and I watched Malignant, <laughs> which, uh, so you saw it, right? I think I, I remember did. you talking about it. Eric and I watched it. So uh, we have to, we have to get into spoilers about this movie. So okay. if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, then I guess. If you haven't seen it, you probably should see it. So just like skip. Right. <laughs> uh, 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 but you know it's it's been out for over a year now. It's been on. I think we watched it on HBO. It's been on yeah, there, so yeah. it's been around. Um, so what I had heard about this movie was that that it's like this is that it's extremely bizarre, and that they couldn't believe that uh, uh, that James Wan managed to get this movie made <laughs> in like a big studio thing or whatever. And I remember hearing from several people that like. It starts out really rough, but there's like a twist that makes it all make sense. And if oh, I don't know if I heard there was a twist that makes it all make sense. Uh, I, I heard there was a twist that was bananas, and people loved it. I maybe what I'd heard was that there was a twist that makes it worthwhile. I guess that that sounds but, correct. So we get into this movie, and we're ten minutes in, and I'm trying to figure out what twist there could possibly be. That would explain why this movie feels like a low-budget mashup of CSI and American Horror Story. <laughs> like every aspect of it, from the performances to the the like the look of the sets and the special effects and all of that, it seems like very low budget. The, the, the even the, one thing that I particularly noticed. There's a shot. This is just a random thing that stood out to me that I think is a good example of like the the weird low budgetness of this movie. There's a shot with one of the cops where he he's walking across the street, 
And I swear to God, the sound effect that they use for his footsteps is shoes walking across a hardwood floor. <laughs> but it's a street. He's outside. <laughs> it, just, it just seems almost like carelessness. Oh, no, I, I assume it was intentional, but that's... maybe. Well, maybe. That's part of the thing. It's like maybe all of this was intentional. Like all of this weird, like soap opera style acting. I have a hard time believing that. Ja- like, I don't always love James Wan as a horror director because I'm just not always into his thing. But like, he has made a lot of of good horror movies, even if they weren't always my thing. It is hard for me to believe that he did all of this without intent. Right. And th- so that's kind of what I'm thinking through the whole thing. And I'm thinking, okay, I, d- I have no idea what this twist is going to be. <laughs> but like, it's there's going to be one, and it's going to. Like, maybe it won't totally work for me, but, like, at least it'll kind of make sense. <laughs> and we eventually get to... For, okay, so for one thing, we've we've talked before about how, like, neither of us are really people who, like, we don't watch movies with the intention of, like, oh, I'm going to figure out what the twist is. No, no. Even if we know there's one coming. That's just not the way we think about movies as we watch them. Correct. So I feel like anytime I see a twist coming, that it must be really clumsy and obvious. <laughs> I saw this twist coming about 20 minutes before they revealed it. So on that level, it didn't necessarily work. Okay, but did you foresee what it would look like? (laughs) Kind of like I I don't. So it is is, the, the, the twist that does occur and the results of it are undeniably fun. In a bonkers kind of way, like the last it's twenty-five funny. minutes. I laughed so. The last like twenty-five minutes of this movie are a lot of fun, just yes. just because they're so bonkers. <laughs> that yeah, no, it's it is it is hard to deny how fun the last act of this movie is. <laughs> Whether or not that makes it worth watching the previous hour and a half, and like. I, I just I don't know. Obviously, it'll you know it'll work better for some people than others. I don't know that I would recommend this movie though. Like, not only does it seem like I, I think kind of like poorly and cheaply seeming, cheap seeming. It's also like really repetitive. Like we get the same like literally the same sequence happens three times in a row, <laughs> and. It, it's just I don't know I, I I cannot recommend it. I wish I liked it better. I wish it was uh, I wish it landed for me a little more. But there, like it's it's one of those movies. It's funny if you scroll through the letterbox reviews, which is obviously not like the best uh, method because <laughs> you you get weird stuff doing that. But if you scroll through the letterbox reviews of this movie, you get a ton of like five star reviews. Like this is the movie the world needed. Like James Bond <laughs> is saving cinema. Like, and obviously it's a little bit hard. So there's, there's a lot of irony in letterboxd reviews. So sometimes it can be kind of hard to parse. Like a lot of people will, a lot of people have a whole thing where they have like a persona that they write their letterboxd reviews from that isn't an actual genuine reaction, you know, but I don't know. I wish it worked better for me. The whole, (laughs) I know, I know that it, it is not productive or reasonable to like pick apart plot holes in a movie like this true but (laughs) why was gabriel able to talk through radios and control light bulbs i don't like what where did he get supernatural powers from there was there was no supernatural element to his existence 
like the, the idea, the plot supposedly reveals this like actual real world basis for what he was, even though it is ridiculous in like a fun kind of way. But there's no explanation for how he has supernatural abilities. Just magic, Joel. It's just magic. It's just like they, they could have thrown something in, though. Like it just seemed like a weird thing. To... You have not mentioned what was one of my favorite parts of the movie and what the thing that kept me just deeply fucking entertained and giggling through most of the first part of the movie before we get to the second act, which is that it's set in Seattle. Right. That is, which yeah. is fucking insane. It's always funny when movies are set in Seattle because all that means is that you have a couple shots that's, that show the Space Needle. Because you can, I don't know if you know this, but you can see the Space Needle from everywhere in Seattle. Everywhere. <laughs> literally everywhere. You, if you are like, if you know anything about housing in the Pacific Northwest, right. the house, the house that she lives in. Woman yeah. lives. And there's no explanation for how she got it. She has this whole thing like, this is my home. I'm not leaving even after this horrible thing happened. Oh, yeah. No, no. And at first I was like, okay, she must have like inherited it. Right? Inherited it must have been the house she grew it. up in. But it clearly was not. Because we see her mother still living in this other house that she grew up in. But no, that, no, that house really just bought it out of That house would be worth like $30 million in Seattle. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but beyond even that, there is a point in the movie where our main character, Madison, it looks like her name is Madison, is, is heading out to find some answers about what's going on. <laughs> and she drives somewhere. And it can't have been that far because she was in and out on the same day. She seems to have been back with him. Oh, are you talking about when she goes to the hospital? When she goes to the giant right. mental hospital the on, on the, the edge of a cliff <laughs> yeah. by a lake. And I was like, where's that then? <laughs> yeah, also, like, no, I had the same thought. Like, if that, there, it, there are multiple parts in this movie where she, like, drives out to what functionally seems like the middle of nowhere and then is, like, back at her house in, like, 15 minutes. And I know that, like, none of this is that funny for people who aren't from around here or whatever, but I was just like, look, this is so funny. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I was just I was just laughing so hard. It takes half a day to get out of Seattle if you're in Seattle just because of the time. Yes. And to so. these places that seem like so out there. Like she's in the she's in the country. I mean, like you could probably I mean, like you could probably find something that is like fairly far out, like, you know, around where where I live. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a solid hour. Absolute minimum mm -hmm. to get anyway. It's just really funny. Um, so that I think that kept me entertained for a lot of the first part. Yeah. Uh, just because it, and it's just a dumb thing. Um, I did not love it as much as a lot of people did, but I liked it a little better than you. It sounds like. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I uh, th there is some like some pretty impressive uh, physical stunt performance work going on yes. with whoever it was that was that was playing the role of Gabriel mm -hmm. because you know, the whole thing is supposed to be like backwards in the body. So like running backwards <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's yeah. some kind of cool stuff going on like the, the 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 sort of creature design of gabriel is cool and like that's the one like, yeah. that's the one like effects element to the movie that i think works really well but yeah th there's a whole there's a repeated effect where the the main character is sort of like transported to these murder scenes and witnesses them happening and it does like this rotating shot around her as the room changes into this other house that I thought just looked terrible every time. And also it's super convenient that the walls in the other houses happened to be in the same places that the walls in her houses were every time. <laughs> All it did was like the decor changed, but like the shape of the room was always the same. So anyway, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I knew I knew we'd get some uh, some mileage out of talking about that one. But um, uh, so that's the only other movie I have. Part of the reason why I haven't watched very many movies is because I've been focusing a bit on catching up on TV. Um, sure. <clears throat> so I, I finished season five of Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. I'm I'm really hoping that they don't wait a whole year to put the last season up because I'm, mm. I'm very excited to see how it ends. And now that they no longer have another season coming, they don't have that weird incentive structure to like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't I haven't heard anything about if they've if they've said when they're going to put it up or not. Um, I haven't either. No. Yeah. But the, it's a great show. It's a lot of fun if you uh, someday I should watch it. Yeah, probably. One of these days, I'm probably going to have to do to rewatch Breaking Bad and also watch through this one because there's probably there's probably some connecting stuff that I don't even really notice. Uh, mm, yeah. Let's see what else. I uh, May and I started on the new season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. Uh, which is you're not still watching that one, are you? Oh, I, I do intend to watch the new season, but I just oh, okay. haven't. Um, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's still fun. It's still more of what you'd expect if you've, if you've been watching. Yeah, I was a little put off by the last season, but I, I do still want to watch yeah. more. Uh, oh, I, so I started the new uh, Stranger Things season. I'm a couple episodes into that. That's one I am not planning on. Right. <laughs> um, I, it's not like one of my favorite shows. I'm not like one of like an obsessive Stranger Things person, obviously, since I'm just now getting to it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do. I quite enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. It has a lot of uh, a lot of energy and character to it. Um, uh, also, I tend to forget between seasons how much like legit horror stuff is in it. Like, I think in my head, it tends to fall into the category of like it's primarily aimed at like 10 to 14 year olds. Mm. And so I tend to think of it as having like that level of horror. Uh, but that's not really the case. At least not. It could, it's been long enough since I've watched the earlier seasons. Maybe that was more the case in the earlier seasons, but that is definitely not the case at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some legitimately gruesome stuff going on in this, in this show. Uh, but I am I'm enjoying it so far. I don't know. How, it's probably going to take me a little while to get through the full season because I don't know if you've heard about the episode lengths on this season. I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. The first, any any possibility of me watching it dissipated. Yeah. The, the first the, two, the first two episodes were both an hour and fifteen minutes. Uh, I think the shortest episode in the season is like an hour and eight minutes. And yeah. the finale apparently is like two and a half hours. <laughs> so <laughs> it yeah, could be a little while. Good. Could be a little while before I actually finish it. But uh, I am enjoying it. Um, and then I, I watched the first episode of Hacks season two. Yay. Um, which, uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll probably get through that one pretty quick. I just haven't haven't gotten around to Oh, it's so uh, good to doing more of it yet, but I yeah the first episode is great. Um, I yeah that's a that one that show is a lot of fun, very funny. It really is. Um, it's great. <clears throat> I feel like I had one other show that I either finished or started on, <laughs> uh, but I can't remember. So let's uh, let's hand it off to you here. Okay, I have so many movies, but I'm going to do my best to be timely here. Okay, so um, I watched a bunch of movies at the end of June because I was determined to get to 300 movies for the year by the midway through the year, mm. um, which I did succeed in, for the record. Is this going to anyway, be a new record for you, then? If I keep going at this pace, yeah. Yeah, that's we'll a see. lot. 
We'll see. Um, I was telling I was telling Morgan last night that at this point, Morgan and I are coming up on having watched half as many movies in the last year together as Eric and I have watched in nine years. Wow. Together. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I was watching some uh, some expiring stuff on Criterion. Uh, so I watched a movie called uh, Appropriate Behavior from 2014 that was um, that was directed and written by a woman named Desiree Akavan, uh, who is a uh, Persian uh, woman. Uh, the movie is a queer movie. She's bisexual and hasn't like come out to her family and is trying to like. It's sort of like one of those like. You know, she's sort of like lost and wandering in her life and doesn't like know what she's going to do with it. I do like that there are points in the movie where she's like profoundly unlikable, like where she <laughs> like really just like I feel like that doesn't happen a lot mm-hmm. um, in movies about women, queer women, women of color. Um, there's sort of a fear of like them being really unlikable. And she definitely has moments. <laughs> that is the case of this. I think I admired it more than I loved it, but um, it, it was good. It was an interesting, it was an interesting movie. Um, and then there were a bunch of documentaries up on Criterion that were expiring uh, that were done by a woman uh, named, oh, God damn it, uh, named Lee Grant, who was also an actress in like the 50s. Yeah, that's for the year. So she, she, and so we, I watched several of those because they were all like an hour long. Um, and the first one I watched was called The Wilmar Eight. Um, and holy shit, it was so cool. <laughs> um, it was based on a true story. I mean, it was not based on a true story, it's a documentary, but it's, it was, it was in 1980 or 81, I think that it came out in 81. So I suspect she filmed in 1980. Um, that was about these eight women who were from uh, who were from Minnesota, and they all worked in a bank doing different you know tellers and bookkeepers and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, the bank president hired a man at a much higher rate than any of them, and had them train him. Um, and this upset them. So and like when they went to him and were like, "Hello." <laughs> he was like, we're not all equal here. You're not going to be making the same amount of money as him. Um, and this upset them. <laughs> and so these eight women who had never been in any way politically involved or anything else uh, formed a union and proceeded to protest outside of the bank every single day for almost two years. Oh, wow. In Minnesota. Mm. Where at least one of the days it was minus 70 with wind chill. Right. Minnesota gets the real extremes on both ends. Yeah. Um, and they were waiting to hear they were waiting to hear back from like one of the labor unions and like a case that had been brought up to see if this qualified. If they won the case, then they would be um, they would get like back pay and get their jobs back sort of thing. Um, they ended up not winning the case, but. But I looked at the women after. I mean, one, it was it was honestly it was so fucking inspiring. Like I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's not on Criterion anymore, but I think you can still you can still rent it for like a few bucks on Amazon. It's only like an hour, um, and it was so incredible to watch these women like support each other and come together and like they're figuring out like you know this family needs twenty bucks more this week. How are we gonna like you know how to support themselves as they're doing this? They all were married and most of them had kids. 
Um, and just like, just incredible. It's fucking amazing. And one of them has passed away um, as of, I think, 2019, because I was looking them up afterwards. But the other seven were still alive and had basically been working on labor stuff for the rest of their lives. Hmm. Um, and it was like, it was one of those things where they didn't win their case, but it was the first time that anyone in this type of job had gone on strike. Um, sort of this like female coded, like, you know, white collar sort of work mm-hmm. instead of, um, and it apparently had huge ripple effects. Um, even though they didn't win, a lot of banks became very nervous about their own employees. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and working conditions changed. Working conditions even changed at the bank they left. Um, like so, like it was just it was so fucking cool. And I'd never heard of this story before. Hmm. Um, and so yeah, it's like an hour long. I super recommend it. Cool. Um, and then Morgan and Mel and I, there was a special showing in Seattle of Marcel the Shell with shoes on. That still hasn't come here, and I'm annoyed about it. I really want to see that. I know. I don't think it's widely released yet. I don't know why. No. Even this was just like a one-time, it yeah. was like a one, a single showing. Um, it was cute. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it as much as I thought I might. Were I you cry. Were you a fan of, of the Marcel videos before? Had you seen I those? never watched them. Okay, yeah. see, I, 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 mean, I was aware of, of the them, old but. the old Marcel the Shell videos and loved them. So... I mean, it's very cute. It looks it looks beautiful. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. I just expected to be like more emotionally devastated mm. than I was. I just didn't cry. Um, but it, it is cute. It's it's for sure worth watching. And like the production design and stuff is just very beautiful. Yeah. So then Morgan and I watched another documentary by Lee Grant uh, from 1985 that was like an HBO documentary thing called uh, What Sex Am I? that was about transgender folks. Um, And, you know, there are things that don't hold up great. She struggled, particularly at the beginning of the movie, she seems to struggle more with pronouns. Um, By the end of the movie, she seemed to have it more down. Um, But, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about watching something that's like, you know, 30 years back like this or whatever is that, like, even the words that, like, in the co- that the community uses to talk about their experiences have changed right. <clears throat> a lot over time. Um, and I do actually think that overall I was pretty impressed with this. I, especially since we watched another documentary like several months ago about trans uh, people that was just really exploitative and gross. Um, and this was, this was not that. It was um, like, I think almost all of the car- the people who, you know, featured in the documentary are shown as like most of them, you know, were still with their, there were a couple of them that were still had, their wives hadn't left them. Like they were no longer married because they couldn't legally be married because, well, <laughs> but like, you know, they still had family. They still had connections with at least some of their kids. They had people who loved them and supported them in communities, which is no small thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to feature in a story like that. Um, I think the most interesting thing for me is that a thing that went on that came up periodically throughout the movie um, was that both from trans people themselves and also from uh, doctors talking about it was a number of them talking about, you know, a desire to be trans over being gay because being gay was seen as a moral failing, but being trans was seen as a medical problem. Mm. Um, which, uh, boy, that has changed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like most of the trans people I knew went through at least some period where they were like, maybe I'm just gay. That would be okay, right? right. Uh, <laughs> so that was really fascinating. It's it's a really interesting, and it, it didn't have any of like the horrifying surgery scenes. Like we see one woman going in for surgery, but um, it also had both trans men and women. 
uh, which was a surprise. Often trans men just sort of get... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> get ignored um so it was really interesting if if this is a topic that like interests people again i think it's available for rent on amazon for a few bucks it's like an hour it was it was a really interesting little piece of of uh history so okay. um and then the next day i was like eric and i were hanging out and i was like eric can we watch four movies and eric was like what four movies and i was like it doesn't matter i need four movies <laughs> still dude we would watch four gay movies we would watch four queer movies mm-hmm. um all um we watched all of them on uh criterion that were expiring because a bunch of their stuff was expiring so the first one we watched was a greg iraqi movie one of his very early movies called the living end um i have liked like uh, greg iraqi did the one movie that like changed my entire life mysterious skin um it, although it wasn't that was based on a book and wasn't his own Thing. Uh, and then I have seen one or two other of his movies that I that I enjoy, but like I've never loved him again. But the problem is that I loved that movie so much and it made such a big difference to me when I watched it that like I just anytime I see his name, I'm like, yes, I will watch that. And then I'm like, I don't think I actually like Greg Araki that much. But yeah. uh, <laughs> anyway, this was one of his early movies. He made a few movies like in the very beginning of his career that cost like ten to $15,000 to make and he didn't have permits for anything and it was all just like, um, and it feels like it and I, it didn't, I didn't think it was great. <laughs> but but then I, we watched a movie. Have you ever heard of the movie Personal Best? Sounds familiar. 1982. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So I had not heard of this movie and um, I think that's a shame. It is. Uh, it is a movie about two track people who want to be uh, who want to go to the Olympics. Um, so like professional track mm-hmm. women, <laughs> um, one of whom is actually played by a woman who did not quite make it to the Olympics, but was close. Okay. <laughs> and the other one is played by God damn it. I can't remember her name. What's the girl's name in Manhattan? The actress. I don't remember. Well, it's it's her is the other one. Okay. Um, Mariel Hemingway, hmm. uh, Ernest, uh, yeah, Ernest Hemingway's granddaughter, I believe. Right. Yeah. And uh, so she's the other one, and they are lesbians or they are queer. Um, they have relationship together, and I honestly like I have seen so many movies in the past five to ten years about gay people that have felt less progressive than this movie did. It's I, I love it. It's just what like. They, you know, the first time we see them together, I mean, partly it was funny because I feel like whenever you see a lot of like, whenever you're watching like athlete stuff, there's a lot of stuff that just reads as very gay. Um, And it's just funny when it's actually supposed to be gay. Mm, (laughs) It's not just like, you know, it's not Rocky on the beach. It's it's these two on the beach. And yeah, they are actually having sex when they go home. Um, (laughs) Like, uh, but, you know, it's just it's just like not like the fact that their relationship is queer is not the point of contention. Mm. Um, it just kind of isn't a thing. Like everyone seems to know, but no one really sees like no one really seems to talk about it much. Everyone's aware they're not hiding it. There's no like coming out. Um, they just they just no one really talks about that much. The coach doesn't love him. He's an asshole. Um, and uh, he also, I think, seems to be more upset about it because it's getting in the way of their game, um, because that's what that's what becomes an issue is the level of ambition that they both have <laughs> and you know that you, you can't you can't all win the best um 
but I mean, and you know, later, you know, eventually they they break up, and and she's and the Mariel Hemingway starts dating a guy, and she's clearly nervous to tell him about the girl, and then at some point he's just like, look, everyone knew, like like the two hottest women in track, like everyone was aware, mm-hmm. and she was like, do you care? And he was like, no, like, <laughs> and like it's honestly, it's it's great, it's beautiful. It like there's so many just like incredible like I am not convinced personally that like a lot of these athletes are not just like a different species than me. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of just like really beautiful like things that the human body can do. Um, and it was just so good. I liked it so much <laughs> and I had okay. never heard of it. And it was just like, yeah, it's it's really good. I super recommend it if you get a chance to see it. Um, and then we watched Saving Face, which was a lesbian movie from 2004, written and directed by Alice Wu about a Chinese American woman who and her like family stuff and her falling in love with a ballet dancer. And it's cute. It's I mean, it's like basic like rom com stuff, but just gay. And okay. uh, and that's fine. It was cute. Um, and then we watched a movie a documentary that was like an hour long called Shakedown that was about sort of this period of time for this. Um, uh, it was like a, it was like a series. <laughs> See, the description is a series of parties founded by and for African-American women in Los Angeles that featured go-go dancing and strip shows for the city's lesbian underground scene. Um, and so it, it's, it's very like home video. So it feels very intimate in a lot of ways, but there were times that I wished it had been like, a little more officially documentary feeling. Mm. Um, but it was definitely like a thing I wasn't familiar with. So, okay. um, and then Morgan and I uh, went to try to start working on trying to catch up with our criterion project, uh, which we're pretty close. I think we're only like one or two behind now. Um, but we watched, uh, the big city by Sajajit Ray. Okay. Absolutely great. Fabulous movie. Turns out that such a shit Ray guy knows how to make a movie. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like about this couple and they're not doing well money wise. And they end up to, the wife decides that she's going to go to work and all of the things that like spin out in the ways their world changes um, when that happens. And it's on, it's really good. It was just beautiful and really, really good. Um, and then we watched uh, Sisters by Brian De Palma because I keep hoping that maybe I'll understand why people like Brian De Palma. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we've... Bad news. This wasn't the one. <laughs> it does seem like that would maybe be the one to get you if anything was going to. I haven't seen that one. You'd think so, but I think that... Um, like, the thing that I found myself thinking about a lot in this one, which is so... Cl- and, I mean, De Palma is always very clearly, at least in what I've seen, is always very clearly being... Uh, inspired by Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think I said as much. It's no secret. Yeah, no, he's, um, but he's, it's just like... He's not... Yeah, he doesn't try to hide that. Yeah. But it's just like, what if Hitchcock was not hindered by the code? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I don't want that. Mm. I, I don't I don't like that. I don't want that. I watched a movie in which Hitchcock was not hindered by the code. We talked about it a few months ago, one of his movies from the 70s, in which he had like a pretty graphic rape scene. Right. And... Like, I feel like when you when you move into that, it becomes a different thing. And it's like, look, I'm not a took me wrong. I'm not defending the code. But I think that in like in like a case like Hitchcock, where, yeah, the guy was a fucking creep 
and had a lot of weird, creepy things. And I do think the movies benefit from his inability to be more graphic. Mm. Um, and that's what I felt like specifically watching this one is like, yes, this is clearly based on Hitchcock, but like, what if he could be as graphic as he wanted? And the thing is, I don't want that. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me. Um, so whatever, we watched that. And then we watched Repo Man, uh, which is a movie I wish I had seen at 19. Yeah, that was kind of how I felt about that when I watched it for the first time a few years ago. It was right, funny. like you watch it and you're like, I can totally, I totally get how this, if you saw it for the first time when you were like in your mid to late teens, it would be the funniest shit ever. Yeah. It would like you would quote lines back and forth to each other all the time. Like I can totally see it. It's just that I'm 38. Like yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't do it for me anymore. So whatever. Um, and then we've been watching through the mummy series. We watched the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor, which was oof, uh, just, just absolutely terrible. And it's, yeah. That's what I hear. I've never heard any, like, you know, the, the, the first one at least has had a bit of a, popular resurgence in the last few years as part of Brendan Fraser's whole thing and all that. Uh, and the first one, when we rewatched the first one, I was like, this is good shit. Right. This is but, good. Like I've, I've never heard anyone, people don't even talk about the, the third one. No, it's like, so bad. It's just, yeah. wow, just appallingly terrible. Um, and then we watched Cabaret, which Morgan had never seen the film version of before. Um, still a perfect film. <laughs> Uh, and then we watched Hamilton because Morgan hadn't seen it and it was the 3rd of July and that's and it seemed like watching Nazis and then American fanfic was like the right way to celebrate 4th of July weekend this year sure um, you know I remain like Hamilton still hits me to some extent I do think it's like it's incredibly funny when watching the stage version on Disney like it's just like the way in which Lynn is just like outclassed in every capacity is extremely funny, uh, but there's still a lot of stuff in it. I enjoyed, uh, it's not really Morgan's thing. He wasn't a big fan of it, but I just felt like it was important to like see it once since it's so, so easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we watched Tokyo story by Azu. I still haven't seen that one. Really good. Really good. I, I mean, it, it was one of those things where I feel like it really takes me, you know, his pacing is so slow mm -hmm. um, that it takes me a while to, like, move my brain into that space. Um, but it's I, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. It is on Ebert's list of great movies, but it's still like 140 down the list from where Eric and I are. So, you know, it'll be a few years. Back to it, but it's really beautiful. Um, and then we watched A Brief History of Time, which was one of the. Um, Errol Morris films I had not seen um, and it was cool it was really interesting uh, Stephen Hawking and his family were very funny enjoyable people um, and it was yeah it was an interesting like 80 minutes or whatever <laughs> <laughs> the, the science is well above my head but right. you know <laughs> yep. there you can. and then Morgan is uh, we've been watching for the blank check they've been doing they did a bunch of the series of Bob Fosse movies so we've been so we watched uh, Liza with a Z the concert film that she did in 1970. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I mean, it was very fun. It's, it's again, it's like an hour long and like, you know, you just, you just can't beat how fucking charismatic Liza Minnelli mm. is and was <laughs> like the seventies. So, um, so it was really fun. And then we watched, uh, Lenny 
which was the movie that Bob Fosse did about Lenny Bruce. Yeah, I've seen that one. That's actually, I think that's actually the only one of his that I've seen. I did not like it. Um, I I thought it it was terrible. Very long time, so thought it was awful. Um, It was not helped along by the fact that at this point, my reaction to Dustin Hoffman, particularly Dustin Hoffman in this era, is pretty like, eh. Um, So that didn't help because, of course, he is playing an asshole. Um, And I mean, honestly, like part of the problem for me, like one of many, I do actually just think the movie was not very good, but um, that like my primary association with Lenny Bruce at this point is what is his name? Luke Kirby, uh, who plays him in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Right. um, Who is so charismatic and charming, still an asshole, but like. Mm-hmm. You get it. And I just I just never felt at all like attracted to Dustin Hoffman in this role. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't my thing. Um and then I watched uh on Criterion, I watched uh, Anything Goes, uh just because I'd never seen it. It's the youngest I've ever seen Bing Crosby. Um he is one of those people that I uh, know his his voice so well because of a hundred thousand watchings of White Christmas, uh, but it felt weird to have it coming out of him with like so much hair. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, it's a it's a cute little movie. Like it's like you know sort of a silly farce sort of thing. It, it was cute. Um, and then I watched High Sierra because uh, that was expiring off of Criterion this month, and I think it's in the book. Anyway, it was a Bogart I hadn't seen so. Mm. Um, and you know, I mean, Bogart's great. Love Bogart. It's it was true. I, yeah. I liked it fine. <laughs> and then Friday, we're getting there. We're almost there. <laughs> Friday, Eric and I watched Tenet because it's expiring off of HBO this month, and we've been putting it off for like two years. Um, didn't like it. Not a fan. Uh, I still haven't watched that either. Uh, it just I I didn't get to see it in the theater because of course the theaters here were still closed when they released it and right. I just haven't I haven't gotten like I I'm not really expecting to like it at this point after everything I've heard about it but you know it's one of those things where it's like look no one can deny that Christopher Nolan makes technically great films right like I mean like you can you can see it they're crisp and I don't even know if beautiful is the right word but they look like extremely competent sometimes they're beautiful I didn't find this one particularly beautiful but um and it's clear that he's thought of like a hundred thousand things that have never even occurred to me as being things to think of for the visuals um but I just don't care I don't give a shit about any of these people I don't care about like and that's not true with every Nolan movie but it's really true with this Nolan movie Mm. um and then also like I just my man you are so good at so many technical things except sound mixing um (laughs) like I don't understand why your movies have such fucking shit sound mixing and why you keep putting people in masks given that that is the case (laughs) like this isn't Bane level of bad but like at one point when we first started the movie, I couldn't get the subtitles to work on the HBO app. And I was like, this is literally not going to work if I can't figure this out. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Anyway. And then we went to go see Thor Love and Thunder. I haven't gone to that one yet. I've been been hearing a lot of very mixed things. Mo- well, that's not even fair to say. I've been hearing mostly <laughs> negative things. <laughs> I have a lot of skepticism about where this sort of rush of fame and money is taking Taika. Mm. Um, As someone who wasn't particularly a huge fan of Taika to begin with, as far as like connecting with his stuff, but I just, mm, mm, I don't know. Um, 
It's not very good. It, it has like some interesting stuff in it that never really gets expanded on very much or never is like there enough to count. There's a lot of issues I have that I will not go into because they would be heavy spoiler territory. I will. One thing I will say, because I was actually glad I had some warning on this, is that while I think that the fat jokes in this movie are are less like over the top than they have been in like the previous Thor incarnation, I think there's more of them and they're more consistent uh, and not just about Thor, but just like generally. Mm. Um, and I found it really unpleasant. And I just, I wish that that wasn't the case. There was one, I knew about two things and then there was one I didn't see coming that actually like made me like physically cringe. Um, so I, uh, yeah, not great. I, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, and then we came home and I was like, we've watched two movies today that I've not liked. <laughs> what if we watch something that I'm pretty sure I'll like? Um, so we watched After Yang, which we've been meaning to watch. Which where'd, like, where'd you get that one? That one's not streaming anywhere yet, is it? It's on Showtime. Oh, which okay. I have. That's um, that never played at the Pickford. It was like one of the ones I was mm. most looking forward to, and then it never came here, and I still haven't gotten to see it because I fucking loved his previous movie, Columbus. Yeah, I still haven't watched that one. It's either. so good. Um, yeah, I've heard that. I, uh, I mean, honestly, Joel, you should just like get yourself like a. Amazon stick or something and just have my account logged in so that you can like we don't have to both rent the same things and like whatever right. it's not it's like 30 bucks or something they're pretty cheap well, I mean I have them that was what I used to use I now I've switched over to Roku but I I still have I think I have two of them around somewhere well but. you should just plug one in and log into my account um because yeah I have showtime because we watch couples therapy and I just sort of keep it so um <sighs> So, yeah, it, it was good. It was very beautiful. I think that um, it maybe was not the ideal. I really wish I had gotten to see it in theaters for sure. Mm -hmm. But I also think it was maybe not the ideal for me to watch right after Tenet and Thor Love and Thunder because, like, the re the way I needed to convince my brain to, like, shift into a completely different right. uh, pacing mindset uh, took a while. And <laughs> by the end, I was by the end, I was really fully on board. But I feel like if I had maybe not, I feel like I would have done it differently. Mm. <laughs> I realize that. Anyway, and then yesterday, uh, Morgan and I finished off the uh, Mummy franchise, I believe, at least all the ones that came to theaters, with uh, The Scorpion King, uh, which was a delight. What a fucking stupid movie. Um, but, like, a movie that really knows it's stupid and is, like, super leaning into that in a fun way. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. Certainly way better than the Tomb of the Dragon Empire bullshit. It's, it's fun. And then we watched the next movie on our uh, Criterion thing was like a Polish movie. And I picked uh, a movie called The Innocents. It came out in 2016. Yeah, I've heard that's great. It was directed by a woman named Anne Fontaine. And it was. It was great. Um, it is. It says in the beginning it's based on true events only like very loosely from what I could read about it. Like very, very like the concept of the true event of nuns being raped by Soviet soldiers, uh, inspired this, the writing of this. Um, but yeah, it is about, you know, this, uh, well, I mean this, this French woman who's there with like the French red cross, um, in Poland and in the end, sort of the end of world war two and ends up through a series of events, um, ending up in this convent uh, where a bunch of the nuns were sexually assaulted by these soldiers and seven of them are pregnant um, but can't let anyone outside know they're afraid of various things and I it's a it's a really incredible movie it's um, 
really just like, you know, all the, everyone responds to it differently. You know, you really, you have a lot of different pictures of like how trauma functions and, you know, in the ways in which we try, you know, I mean, the, the big thing about trauma, like when people talk about it, like as its own concept is that it like, it like you lose your ability to believe that the world is a safe place mm-hmm. or that you can be safe in the world. Um, and, you know, obviously when you have a convent full of nuns, uh, then there are a lot of questions about God and their faith and those sorts of things. But I don't really think that's what the movie is about. Our POV character is not religious at all. Um, I, I mean, I just think the movie is about like, how do you, how do, how does, who do, they, how do these women deal with this incredible, you know, series of traumas um, that in many ways their faith actually sort of, you know, doubles down on. It was remarkable. It was really, really beautiful. Uh, super, super recommend it. Uh, so that one is up on Criterion. So that is all my movies. Uh, I'm trying to think really quick if there's any TV. Oh, um, I've been watching, I started uh, watching the new season of Westworld. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I would have bet a million dollars that Westworld had ended. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> on Twitter talking about how there was a new Westworld season. And I can't imagine why, but. No, and then the last season was absolutely Hasn't it been awful. like four years since they did a season of that show? Uh, two to three. But I mean, I think COVID, you know. Yeah. Put a put a halt on things. Um, I you know I don't know. I I initially was like probably I'm not going to watch anymore. I you know the last season was just terrible. Um, I also didn't like season two. I really only liked season one. Uh, but then I don't know. I really miss having like a podcast that I'm listening to like week to week with a show. Um, and it used to be David Chen and Joanna Robinson doing Westworld Decoded or whatever. Um, and now they are they are not doing that. Mom and Dad have split up here. Um, amicably but uh so dave has a new has a new partner on decoding westworld uh who is great um east indian american man uh who's a film critic in los angeles uh what is his name i hadn't heard of him before um his name is sedant adlaka um hopefully i'm not betraying that and they, so I've been listening to that one and I've been listening to the podcast that Joanna has been doing with two other co-hosts, uh, on, um, not the ringer, but the prestige TV podcast, um, where both of them are doing week to week. And I just, I, I enjoy listening. And I will say we are two episodes in, it could f- jump off the rails at any point. This season feels like a hard reset in a lot of ways. Like they realized the last season was terrible. Um, and I have, for the most part, been enjoying the first couple episodes, like way more than I thought. So, uh, we'll see. But so far, if you finish season three and we're like, absolutely not, I totally get that. But at least so far, this new season has been pretty fun. I gave up about a third of the way through season two, if I remember correctly. No, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) That's very legit. And I mean, part of it for me, too, is that, like, I don't remember shit that happened in the previous season. So, like, I listen to these podcasts partly because, like, you know, Joanna will be like, do you remember when so-and-so said this in the pilot episode? I'm like, no, I don't fucking remember that, Joanna. I love you so much. But, like, um, you know, and I, you know, she's watched all these episodes a million times. So, uh, so I like it when other people do the work. Because I'm never going to do the work, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm enjoying it so far. So okay. it's not bad. I think I think the only other TV thing that I, the one that I had forgotten about was Miss Marvel, which I feel like we should wait a, until next time to talk about. Because I think yeah, let's let's left. wait. Yeah, I assume it's six episodes like the last few have been. That is correct. So. Yes. 
Um, I really enjoyed the last episode. I'll just yeah. No, yeah, no, I'm still I'm still into it. But I, I just, it probably makes more sense to wait to talk about it until we yeah. get it all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think that's I think that's what I got. Um, and watch more things today. So in a couple of weeks, we'll we'll uh, we'll watch Hell House. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious to see how that one will go because I you know I don't think it's like a you know it, it's it's a very like low budget kind of of documentary mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily a bad thing but yeah yeah we'll see we'll see how it plays how it plays to us now in our mm-hmm. current state of state yep. of mind <laughs> yep all right we'll see everyone later bye everyone bye, bye.